Hello, this is the Joys of Teaching Literature. My name is Scott Cameron, uh, talking about all th things high school English. I offer actually offer online professional development for high school English teachers. If you want to know more about it, you can go to theteachersworkshop.com. Um, so this week we're talking about magical realism, um, wrapping up a, a, a unit that I did. Um, the, the t it's a long title of a book. It's called Short, an International Anthology of Five Centuries of Short Stories, Prose Poems, Brief Essays, and Other Short Prose Forms. A fantastic book. I highly recommend it, especially right now during remote learning. Um, I think that chopping things up into little 10-minute uh, fragments is really helpful. Um, you know, I've been kind of rolling through, like, all right, short, roll, let's read this. And we're talking anywhere from really a paragraph length to a page or two. Uh, so it's just really easy to, to kind of go through. Honestly, they're so loaded with, with and some of them are poems. I was going to say poetic language, but some of them are actually poems uh, that it took me, I think the first couple stories that we went through took me a single hour period just to get to through two. And we didn't go that much faster through the whole unit. I kept asking my students, like, hey, is this working? Do you want to keep doing this? Um, and then at one point, I, I, I kind of got them into groups and said, all right, you know, this group, three or four kids, you handle these couple of stories and then do a little presentation on it. And we did that for just one or two days. And they, I asked them, like, at the end, I think this is a year where you're just usually asked for feedback at the end of the year. But this year, I'm like, Are you guys okay? Like, do you want me to change it up? Are you, how do you want to do this? And they're usually pretty honest with me about what, what's working best and what's <laughs> boring to them and what's not. Um, and they're like, no, 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 let's go back and just read them as a class. You know, and then after they we read it as a class, it only takes like a minute or two. And then they get into breakout rooms. and Or, you know, if they're in person, they're meeting in person. And then um, after that, I kind of ask, and I, I make that quick. It's like two minutes, three minutes. Actually, as the unit went along, I gave them less and less time. I started out giving them five minutes. Got to prepare something to say. I'm going to call on somebody random. <laughs> this is also another technique with virtual learning that I've, I don't try, I try not to use that as a crutch because I want, I, we all know that really good questions, it, you don't really have to cold call. You'll just get like hands flying in the air. Um, and if you you have a, cl a class culture that where everybody feels comfortable talking, um, you know some classes are obviously better than others. But when you have that culture going, where just anything goes, any interpretation goes, and we're just there to have fun, and everybody's really you know civil with each other and understanding, and, and there, there's no fights or debates going on. It's just kind of like hey, let's talk about literature and it's laid back. Um, and again, you give them the opportunity to think about what they're going to say before they say it. That's key because a lot of kids, you know, there's, of course, that five or six kids that just their hands shoot up every, you know, after two, after literally not even, I was going to say a couple of seconds after you ask the question, but really it's their hand shoots in the air almost immediately after you ask the question because they're just ready to go with anything you ask. So there are always going to be those kids. Uh, but if you give, you know, just a little bit of, it's kind of equivalent to wait time, right? It's, wait time's kind of awkward because you're, just kind of putting pressure on somebody to think on the spot, which, you know, there's some value to that. Um, but really, wait time. If, you, if you're able to, like, make quick transitions, and actually, your like few advantages to virtual learning is that you can, you know, set that timer and be like, okay, the breakout rooms are over, done, and they're back, and there's no, like, little shuffling or moving desks and changing groups or any of that stuff that happens in a real classroom, which, that again, that's not really a disadvantage because 
you want to get them out of their seats and changing and where, wherever you're getting into, you know, make a, get, make a poster or whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's, I give them a couple minutes in a breakout room, prepare what they're going to say. And then uh, I just kind of cold call. I've been doing that where I just cold call random people just so everybody's, <laughs> I know that everybody's reading, everybody's partaking in the conversation because they know I might call on them. I hate doing it. Um, it's better just to be organic kind of about it, but um, it's 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 just a special kind of year. We've got to do special kind of stuff. So, But it's been good. I mean, almost every person I call on, they have a response, or if they're just honest, or it's like, I, you know, I, I thought about that, and I, I don't have anything to say, really, and it's okay. It's cool, you know. Um, so... That's that's this is that's the unit I've been I've been doing this for four weeks and it's just been really I, I keep thinking it's gonna be boring but and then towards the end of it I kind of sped it up a little bit so we just just read the story and then get into the conversation right away because they get a feel for what to do they get a feel for you know how to talk about the stories and so these stories in particular are just kind of I, the the fun part I I don't tell my students not honestly half the time I don't even know if it's fiction or nonfiction. I think the, the book's kind of organized like that. We're just like, oh, was that an essay or a poem? You know, for instance, one story I looked up, it was a poet, but it, also a journalist. I'm like, oh, okay, so it's a poem, but also from the point of view or actually from uh, a journalist. Like, So it is it is nonfiction, but it's a poem. It, so it's just like, let's throw some of those labels out and just read it and talk about it, right? Um, and you can kind of go back and forth with whether it's a metaphor or if it's like just some crazy line that or some, some crazy reality that the, the writer is um, making for you for some reason. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, normally science fiction, fantasy, whatever these labels are, that means this thing is not only is it fiction, but it's got an extra layer of being uh, you know, totally imaginary. Just didn't I, I like Virginia Woolf, Henry James, those sorts of writers um, that just kind of dive deep into the con, really big into the con, getting into the consciousness of the character. However, that happens through switching narrative voices and free and direct discourse and things like that. Uh, th that's just what I prefer in James Joyce, whatever. Um, and you know, first person is fine too, because uh, that's yeah, really authentic. You know point of view of the characters in the first person but I prefer third but either way it's science fiction always just felt far-fetched like I'm not really into special you know even movies you know, I see a movie and it's got big explosions and you know all kinds of technological or imaginary worlds um, it's just you know some of them work I think some of them there's one or two where I can be like okay yeah that that was cool um, and you know it's so so it's just never been my thing, but uh, there's a. I'm, I just I'm making a, a unit on Exit West right now by Mohsen uh, Hamid, and uh, it's just I don't know, kind of changing my mind about it a little bit. I think at first when I was reading it, I was like, oh, so this is happening. Like this, I don't want to give too much away about the book, but there's this kind of basic thing that the, these doors lead into other countries, and. Um, at first, okay, this is like a cheap, you know, again, it's like a cheap special effect. This is kind of silly. But then you, it just becomes part of the world of the book. And then it, and once it, once the metaphor becomes, like what you think is a metaphor is actually a part of the story, um, it, it functions on that same level as a metaphor, but it's, it, it's kind of spirals off into many, many different directions because it's actually happening in the book. So I, I don't know, I really, 
Um, I kind of thought about The Giver, if any, I'm sure everybody remembers that book in middle school. Um, just like that, that creation of this alternate reality really t kind of speaks to, to some kind of quality to the reality that we're in. That, the closeness to the reality is the important part, right? That's, I think that's, you know, as long as you can connect it to something that actually happens, that's important. Or it makes you realize something deep and profound about the world we live in. That's the thing that makes great literature. So it doesn't really matter if it's loaded with poetic language or if it's, you know, some kind of crazy like stream of consciousness, for instance, is kind of hard to follow sometimes. It's okay that it's confusing. I'm all right with that. But as long as it's sort of tied to reality. So Exit West really, I think, did that for me. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, when you think about it, magical realism is, is, a, is a kind of oxymoron. Right, kind of pairing together two words that just don't belong together. Um, there's a there's a great story in the anthology called Domestic Scene, and uh, it's a, a kind of a parody of Franz Kafka's The Metamorphosis by Barry Yorgrau. Um and you know, like similar to the the first sentence of The Metamorphosis, the first sentence is I am I am turned into an animal, a weasel. So at that point, you're like, okay, all the rules are thrown out the window. He's a weasel. <laughs> and we learn later that his girlfriend is an elephant <laughs> and that neither of them noticed the transformation. The, the, the weasel didn't know that his girlfriend was an elephant and the elephant didn't know that her boyfriend was a weasel. <laughs> so at that point, it's like, yeah, teenagers, it, it doesn't matter. If, I mean, I, I guess it does matter if we like it for different reasons, but kids they love this stuff you think back to the, the children's books you know where just all kinds of fantastic stuff happened actually the more ridiculous and I think about this when I'm reading books to my kids <laughs> the colors don't make sense the images don't make sense the, the, the that's what they love they love when it makes no sense because it makes them think like why is that so different from my reality what's up with my reality you know, why can't it be more exciting? Why can't it be more spontaneous? All these different things that th those kinds of worlds create, where they, they make us jump and they're, they're surprising. Or, you know, there's just some element that makes it feels like there's no gravity, kind of, you know, and there's nothing to sort of keep us grounded. Like this thing is happening that should not be happening. And um, it seems silly sometimes to interpret such a ridiculous situation, uh, like a elephant and a weasel but but the magical quality of the story is that it opens up all kinds of possibilities right in this case with this sentence i am turned into an animal a weasel you know the questions are you know, what in life prevents us from really noticing each other from connecting on a deeper level like, why don't they know that one's an elephant and the other is a weasel why do we become wrapped up in ourselves our responsibilities our needs our desires and how do those needs get in the way of happiness, of intimacy, of affection? So another story, um, Lilypad by Kim White, uh, starts with two surprising sentences. Uh, the man saw that there was a, a, the bud of a flower growing in the palm of his hand. It was firm and pink, and when it opened, there was a, t a shiny, tiny face inside. Um, so that's <laughs> another, you're like, oh, what? I'm like, let me read that. That's not a metaphor. Like, this there's actually a flower in his palm. Um, with these kinds of stories, there's there's really no. What are you going to say as an English teacher? No, that's a that's the wrong interpretation of uh, 
the flower that's inside of uh, the face that's inside of a guy's hand that's inside of a flower. <laughs> it's hard to say that's right and wrong, right? That, and that makes it fun because I think that at that point, that's why the kids are like, there's a little face inside this guy's hand. Like my teacher doesn't know the right answer to what that represents, right? Or what that means. Um, so it kind of, it, it and, and the thing about it is that if it's just a face and a hand, if you don't interpret it, it's just, it doesn't, it's not exciting anymore. If you just kind of leave it there, you know, um, it forces the, the reader to use their imagination. It could be, uh, the flower could be um, a reimagining of an old relationship, uh, the hope of a new one, or a parent protecting their child. Um, I even thought of, I, I thought for sure my students are going to be like, oh, that's totally a cell phone, you know, a, a, a face inside of a hand, that's, that's totally a cell phone. Um, and, but that's what I thought, you know, it's got to be something about technology and, you know, how we allow the, the phone to take over our lives and to just distract us and be this kind of face that we just want to look at, this face that we don't know. Uh, it's not somebody that he knows in his past, so it's just this kind of stranger that we look at and that we're fascinated by and or entertained by, um, that we want to know more about in the case of the news, right? We want to know what happens to people that we don't know. Um, so I thought about all of those things. Uh, it might be worthwhile to have students <laughs> write an essay that interprets very short magical realism um, for all the reasons I just stated. Uh, but but of course, and this is I think about creative writing with almost every unit. I feel like there's there's a little opportunity to do it. Just because it's it's that it brings the it brings their own imagination to life. Um, in the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin, Franklin describes reading the satirical essays in The Spectator, and then trying to become a better writer by imitating Addison Steele, who wrote the, these periodicals. They're fantastic. They're um, they create personas, uh, so they're sort of fictional, but they're presented as nonfiction, sort of like John Stewart and uh, Stephen Colbert when he called himself Colbert. Uh, is create these, well, I guess less so with Stuart, but it was, again, it dabbled in their own point of view, but they just were like, you know, creating fictional letters that are like, hey, check out this letter this person sent in, and it was totally ridiculous and over the top, and you're like, all right, so that wasn't real. Um, so they're really fantastic, and they commented on pop culture, well, their version of pop culture in the 1700s, and um, like things like taxes, fashion, advertisements, things like that. Um, so I'll read this section from Ben Franklin's autobiography. Quote, I bought The Spectator, read it over and over, and was much delighted with it. I thought the writing excellent and wished, if possible, to imitate it. By comparing my work afterwards with the original, I discovered many faults and amended them. But I sometimes had the pleasure of fancying that in certain particulars of small import, I had been lucky enough to improve the method of the language. And this encouraged me to think I might possibly in time come to be a tolerable English writer, of which I was extremely ambitious. So, yeah, think about think about that when we think, okay, am I going to have this, the students write an analytical essay on this short story, or am I going to have them do what Ben Franklin was trying to do, which is to imitate the style and, and the objective of a, another of, of whoever they consider to be a great writer. Um, when student interprets magical realism or any literary technique, they're they're on the receiving end, right? They they're just trying to figure out what the writer was thinking. They must imagine the writer's objective or frame the story in terms of their own experiences 
even though that might not work or be appropriate. When a student goes from critical thinking to creative writing, they go from the passenger seat to the driver's seat. They can then create the world they want to see and go where they want to go. They become responsible not only for their own end, de end destination, but the end destination of anyone willing to get in the car with them. Magical realism goes beyond the place that a metaphor takes us. It goes beyond the realm of comparison. Unlike irony, where we encounter a defiance of expectation, in magical realism, we encounter extraordinary surprises in every sentence. Everything we read is a defiance of our expectations. We must enter a world that is much different than the one we live in, one that forces us to question the one we live in, and one where we imagine the possibilities of the one we live in, not the limitations and restrictions. I love assigning creative writing because I get to tell my students anything is possible. Thanks for listening.